Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word, to hear from you through your word. Father, as we do that, we pray that uh, you would find us to be malleable, to mold us in conformity with your word, uh, so we better reflect the, the work and life and person of Jesus, whose name, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, New Year's has come and gone. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Any of them you care to share? To eat more chocolate. (laughs) That's one I'm confident you can keep, Steve. Other New Year's resolutions? No? Um, Well, so far, Steve, how have you done with your resolution? I am achieving my goal, sir. Okay, good. Good. Uh, New York Post had a survey recently that said 80% of New Year's resolutions are broken during the first week in January. (laughs) All of my New Year's resolutions for last year I was able to keep. I had a resolution not to have any wardrobe malfunctions. Kept that one. I had a resolution not to be elected Pope by the College of Cardinals. Kept that one. I had a resolution not to win the lottery. Unfortunately, I kept that one. I had a resolution not to dance in the moonlight with an Eskimo. Kept that one as well. I was uh, successful with all those resolutions because they dealt with circumstances I was unlikely to encounter. But in other years, with other more realistic resolutions, I have not been as successful. Ben Franklin, one of our founding fathers, uh, worked through this process where he developed this list of 13 virtues in an attempt to uh, sustain his uh, onward and forward development and growth in character. But he said this, how few there are who have courage enough to own their faults or resolution enough to mend them. I wonder why that is. And I think uh, the Bible helps us answer that question. I think one of the reasons why is because resolutions are primarily a human-based solution to the problems or issues that we face. They're really a measure of our intent and our commitment to act on our intent. And at least in my experience, even the best human effort, as noble as it is, in the pursuit, for example, of chocolate, even the best human effort is going to fall apart at some point in time. I think as Christians we need more than self-generated human-based resolutions. I think we need a, a, really a revolution of reliance on Christ as we face life. So I'm going to invite you this morning to turn in the Bibles that are in front of you to the book of Romans, chapter 7. I'm going to start at verse 14. I'm going to read down through chapter 8, verse 2. If you're looking for it in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1756. It's a bit of an extended passage, but I want you to hang in there with me because the Apostle Paul is going to say some things that are directly pertinent to this issue of resolution or revolution. He says this, starting in chapter 7, verse 14. He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. This, to me, is an interesting passage in the book of Romans because the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's really most clear attempt to systemize what we would call systemized Christian theology. In fact, the first 12 chapters of the book of Romans are his ongoing development of this real-life issue that we have realizing that Jesus came to save us from our sin. And he unfolds that in a lot of different ways with a lot of different dimensions to it. But in chapter 7, starting in verse 14, he switches gears a little bit to give kind of a, a personal testimony. How do we know that? Well, if you're a, a grammar aficionado, any grammar aficionados out there? There's one. I see that hand. All right. grammar. If, if you're a grammar aficionado, the re- reason we know that is up until this chapter 7, verse 14, the Apostle Paul has been using really past tense verses talking about things that have been and historical circumstances. But in chapter 7, verse 14, he switches to the present tense. He's talking about himself. And I love this about him. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the dude. This is the guy who took the gospel from Jerusalem and extended it to the known Roman world of the time. This is the guy who evangelized, planted churches everywhere he went. This is the guy who says, you know what? I struggle with sin. And I appreciate that about him. And one of the things I love about the Bible is it is not glossed over, nice and neat, tidy stories. It's not a book of fairy tales where everybody lives happily ever after. It's a book of real life in the midst of, whom we, in the midst of which we meet the real God in the person of the real Jesus to rescue us from real issues so that we can really know what God has designed us to be. So Paul does this shift. And so from this passage, I I think we can see that Paul has, and you and I have, we have a couple of things. The first thing we have is good intentions. That's why people do resolutions at the first of the year. We have this desire to do the right thing. We even have resolve to do the right thing. Chapter 7, verse 15, I want to do it. Verse 18, I have the desire to do what is good. Verse 21, I want to do good. Verse 22, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. We see this powerful intent to do the right thing. Most people I know who follow Jesus want to do the right thing. And even when we're caught up in the middle of the wrong thing, our heart grieves because we know we're not cooperating with God's leadership in our lives. 
In fact, you know, I've dealt with lots of folks over the years who have come to me and this is broken anguish and tears about uh, the failure and, you know, in the sin area. And you can pick your category of failure. And one of the things I say to folks in the middle of that is, you know what, that grief that you feel, that, that horror that you feel, that's a mark of God's spirit in you, calling you to realize that we're in the midst of something we don't want to do. We want to do the right thing in families. We want to do the right thing in relationships. We want to do the right thing in our personal endeavors. We want to do the right thing in the workplace. We want to do it. We have this desire to do it. But we also have what Paul clearly unpacks here for us, a handicap. What's the handicap? We have a sin nature. We have a sin nature that we act on. And sometimes we act on that sin nature with enthusiasm. We want to do the right thing, but often we can't. Verse 17, uh, verse 15, the second part, what I hate, I do. Verse 18, the third part, I cannot carry it out. Verse 19, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And the, the end condition of this is what Paul identifies in verse 24 of chapter 7 as kind of a wretched state. And what he's trying to get us to see in this passage is that because of the presence of sin, there's kind of a war in progress. We're kind of duking it out with ourselves in a way. Sold, he says, slaves to the law of sin. And in the middle of that, we have to hold on to the reality that Jesus has defeated sin. And he has defeated the ultimate consequence of sin, death. But in this life, as you and I are cruising down the slippery, slidey streets of Emporia, Kansas, we realize that we're in this kind of in-between place. The war has been won, the victory has been attained, but we're not quite there yet. Some wars are won, some wars are not won, but even in wars that are won, it sometimes takes the advantage of looking back to see the decisive point, right? If you're a student of World War II military history, people in the middle of the invasion of D-Day did not realize that that was the turning point for victory in Europe. It was only looking back that they realized. In the middle of that day, in fact, Dwight Eisenhower, Ike, the Kansas boy from Abilene, he had written a telegram that he was about to send to Washington, D.C. in the event of the failure of that invasion taking full responsibility for it. See, right in the middle of the moment, we don't always know the turning point. We, we have to look back on it. So we look back on the work of Christ to see the ultimate victory. And then, then these things, these truths about us become exacerbated by this habit we have of self-reliance. Now listen, relying on ourselves is not inherently a bad thing. But if relying on ourselves is the ultimate source, if we view it as our ultimate source of victory, we're in serious, serious trouble. Back in the era of the founding of the United States of America, there was a popular kind of theological thing in the air at the, air at the time. It was called deism, D-E-I-S-M, or deism. You can pronounce it however you want. This was the idea that God had indeed created everything, but then he took a day off and went on siesta and just kind of left it running. 
And in the middle of the leaving it running, people said, well, we just have to kind of pull up ourselves by our bootstraps and work as hard as we can and be ultimately self-reliant and, and, and accomplish everything in our own strength and power. But that's not what the Bible says. And because of those things, we have in uh, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says this tendency to fail. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Verse 21, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, you don't have to offer a word of testimony about that this morning, but I, I, you know, I've lived this life now, this Christian life, for a fairly fair amount of time, and I, I just know this is true. Those things that I want to do, the right that I want to do, the good that I want to do, man, my batting average isn't so hot. I personally will be glad when all this football nonsense is done. So we can turn our attention to America's true pastime, baseball. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of uh, David Ortiz. His nickname was Big Poppy, Red Sox player who retired a couple of years ago. Was inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame just last year. He's on his way to Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame. During his career, he hit 541 home runs. He's 17th on the list for a lifetime achievement in home runs. But here, this is what I think is interesting. His lifetime batting average is 286. What does that mean? That means that he successfully hit less than 3 out of 10 times he was at bat. Are you hearing this? One of the most successful baseball players ever, who played for you know, the best team ever, successfully hit less than three out of ten times. That's what it looks like when we rely on our own strength and we resolve to do stuff in our own strength. So the solution is not just a resolution to do better, but in my view, a revolution of reliance on Christ. See, a resolution to do better just reduces Christianity to some sort of spiritual self-help program. A revolution, a reliance on the power of Jesus, makes us realize the, the power source that we have to follow through. The Beatles, perhaps the most influential rock and roll group of all time. And I know back when they were in their heyday, you were all rocking out to it. In fact, now I've conjured up mental images I cannot erase from my mind. <laughs> they got it at least partly correct. You say you want a revolution. What do we need? We need a revolution and a recognition that we're in the midst of a revolution. Verse 24, chapter 7, Paul says this, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me. And he gets that he needs rescue. January uh, 2018, 
Two Marine Corps fighter jets were practicing an in-flight aerial refueling operation. Now, I don't, at night. Now, you may not ever have been in a combat jet traveling at speed. Trust me, it's an exhilarating but slightly frightening experience. Refueling is an adventure. Refueling at night? Man. So these two Marine Corps jets are trying to do their refueling, and they had a, hooked up with a KC-130 tanker, and they had successfully done their refueling, and they had disengaged, but for some reason, still not really known, the pilots of one of the aircraft abruptly turned too sharply in the wrong direction, and his plane penetrated the tanker. He, the pilot, and his uh, flight officer, they ejected from their aircraft. The tanker exploded instantly. It's just a flying gas station. And so the pilot and the flight officer, they landed in the ocean in the Sea of Japan. The pilot had on him uh, a smart watch, which measured his vital signs the entire time he was waiting for rescue. When he, when, he, when he hit the water and finally got settled, his heart was beating at 86 beats per minute. And his heart beat at approximately 86 beats a minute until it finally started fading out. Because you see, the Japanese military, which was responsible for the rescue, and the United States military, which was responsible for orchestrating the rescue, they couldn't talk very well. They had to get people out of bed at home to get onto the rescue aircraft, to get out to see him. The guy was in the water. His heart was beating for nine hours and 45 minutes. They found him 45 minutes later. Not every rescue operation is successful. But this failed human rescue operation is nothing like the rescue operation we have in Christ. Paul says, who's going to rescue me from this? Verse 25, he says, Jesus is going to rescue me from this. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, he who is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what should the outcome be? If we throw ourselves in this revolution of reliance on Jesus, it should be a growing sense of freedom from sin. Chapter 8 verse 2, Paul says, God has set me free from the law of sin and death. Not that we're going to be perfect in this life. I know some folks who think they are, and they are not. If you are in this room today and you're operating under the illusion that you've uh, reached perfection, trust me when I say, if we take a poll, the results will be, no, you haven't. We're not going to get sinless perfection this side of heaven, but we, we will gradually see more and more of Jesus in ourselves and, and others will see it too. 
And the other thing that comes with this revolution of reliance on Christ is this thing that Paul talks about in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It gives us some freedom to enjoy the journey along the way. I messed up. God forgave me. He picked me up. He dusted me off. He accompanied me on the next place. And I went there and I messed up, but he picked me up and he accompanied me to the next place. This is Jesus. This is the God who is at work to revolutionize how we, how we live, how we work, how we view life. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Christian music. A Christian songwriter named Michael English really wrote some really good stuff. But along the way, he stumbled. He had an extramarital affair. And uh, that started a... Uh, a trip down a road of not, some not very good stuff. But along the way, he embraced this rescue, this revolution of reliance on Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said this afterwards. His failure was in 1994. He said this in 1998. If you had asked me if I would ever sing Christian music again after the events of April 1994, I would have said no. My thoughts were, why would anybody want to listen to me sing about Christ? I'm a disgrace to his word. However, in the last four years, he says, I have learned a lot about myself and God's love. I know he has forgiven me, and I will continue to sing. I love that. I know that he has forgiven me, and I will continue to sing. That's not self-help. That's not resolution. That's revolution. Reliance on Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we continue on and we move into 2020, it's okay to make resolutions, even if they're about chocolate. It's okay to intend to do well. But we need to throw ourselves on the power of the living Lord Jesus Christ so that he can carry us through to completion. That's true for us personally. It's true for us as a church. Every time we as a church look at a balance sheet, a bottom line, a facility, and rely on that stuff, we're mistaken. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we throw ourselves on his power and let him lead us to the place that we have to go. And so this morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment. We, we look to this meal to remind us. I mean, why do we do this? It's just a little bread and grape juice, right? Why do we do this? We do this because we are reminded by the act of participating in this meal that it is not up to us. It is up to the power of Christ that he exhibited most powerfully on the cross. You can resolve all you want, knock yourself out. But how about a revolution of reliance on Jesus? Pray with me. Father, we thank you today for the privilege of being in your house among your people. 
We thank you for the truth that in Christ we are set free. We thank you for the truth that in Christ, even when we stumble and fall, his power is there to pick us up and enable us to move forward. We thank you that ultimately the rescue is not up to us. The rescue has been done in Christ. As we participate, Lord, in this reminder meal this morning, focus our attention on the source of power that's available to us. We pray in the name of that power, the name of Jesus. Amen.